0: Welcome to the Content Podcast, conversations with Silicon Valley's creatives. I'm Daniel Garcia, your host and the cultivator of Content Magazine published by SV Creates. Hi, this is Steve. Today we talk with Steve Borgenhagen. He's an entrepreneur, restaurateur, arts supporter, and currently the executive director of Urban Confluence Silicon Valley. Hey, Steve, how are you doing? This is Daniel. Hi, Daniel. It is so good to hear your voice, my friend. It's been a long time. Much too long during this strange time. Yeah, it has. It's it's kind of funny. Hey, you know, I wanted to jump right out the gate and ask you, because um, you started Camera One back in like 1975-ish, is that correct?
1: Good research. That is
0: right. <laughs> so that means you have been involved in San Jose and downtown for 45 plus years.
1: Yeah, and actually I went to San Jose State for a few years before that. So I've been either in school or doing other things downtown since about 1972.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Now, how were you raised in San Jose? How did you get into San Jose?
1: I was raised in Santa Clara. My dad uh, went to Santa Clara after the war on the GI Bill and so he came to Santa Clara, met my mom, got married right after the war. Uh, I have an uh, older brother, older sister than me and a couple younger sisters. And my parents lived in the same house uh,
0: from when they got married and until they died. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. So then you kind of were in this area. You did do some schooling up in San Francisco too, right? But you've been pretty much around here for the majority of your life. Yeah, not,
1: that, not majority of all of my life. I've been here forever. Again, grew up in Santa Clara. Then I went to Santa Clara University for a year, uh, but didn't didn't really like it at the time. So I went off to San Francisco to an experimental college called New College of California. I just did that for a semester in 1971. And then I went to West Valley for a semester. Then I went to San Jose State for three years. And then we started opening businesses and that was it for
0: college. Yeah. So like, how did you, how did you begin camera one and then like, what was kind of like the thinking behind that and what was going on?
1: A number of friends and I all uh, went to San Jose State together. So the the founders of Camera One, it was a whole bunch of us, really. It was my wife, Kathleen. Uh, uh, Jack Neibom uh, was a film nut, as was Ed Rathman. And we worked with Jeff Whalen, Dennis Skaggs. There were really a bunch of us who opened the theater together. I think we paid ourselves about a hundred dollars a month each or something like that. (laughs) But we got tired of going to Palo Alto and Berkeley and San Francisco to see foreign films and repertory American films. So this little theater became available on South first street and we cobbled together a few thousand dollars and opened. And sure enough, it became a success really quickly there. There were a number of people in San Jose who were interested in seeing great films. So we, we, uh, No one got rich, but we we did well. And then that group, which I I was only involved for about five years, but Jack uh, Nyblom and Dennis Skaggs and Jim Zuer, they went on to do Camera 3, then Camera 12, the Town Theater, Las They At one point, I want to say they had uh, 20 screens or so, and then um, those all died over the years like most businesses. And then I I think Jack is still involved at the Prune Yard, uh, if I'm not mistaken.
0: So did you uh, kind of pull away from camera one as you, as you began to do Ulypia? Was that kind of the, the transition from that point? Yeah. So in
1: 77, we opened this jazz club coffee house, Ullipia and uh, Rathman and Bob Mello and I, and my wife were the, we were the camera, excuse me, we were the, the Ulypia people. So after a year or two, we decided to sell our, our interest for very little in camera one, yeah. I mean, it was <laughs> just a little, little tiny business. Uh, and so we focused on Ulippia while they stayed in the, in the movie business. And then the rest of us all were in the bar and restaurant business for decades.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you had Ulippia for what? Until 2000, 2012. Yeah. Almost 40 years. Yeah. That's crazy. So, and then of course that's transferred into, um, Cafe Stretch, which now you currently aren't really that much involved It right? It's kind of Michael, your son, who's the chef and then Max who, Maxwell, who's kind of more the creative director, I guess you'd call.
1: Yeah, I have I have nothing to, to do with with Cafe Stritch except that my my boys own it and operate it. Mike's the owner. Max is the artistic director. Uh, yeah. As you probably know, they've been closed for uh, eight months, yeah. or so, as uh, has pretty much every jazz club in America. Uh, yeah. But no, I have uh, I was uh, helping a little um, in the early years of stretch, but no, I have, I have no ownership, no, no interest. I'm, I'm just a a dad who likes to help his kids.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you're kind of out of the restaurant world. So, but so like, where did you get this kind of, I mean, you've started a lot of businesses. You were involved also at the beginning of San Pedro Square Market. That's actually when I first met you when that, when you were kind of helping them out with the launch of that. And now you've kind of begun the, the, well, the lighthouse project that kind of morphed into the urban confluence. So you're, I mean, it seems like you're very involved in kind of creating new things and making change and helping the city. How, where did that all come from? What's, what's in your DNA that kind of makes you do these things?
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know, but I, I've <laughs> along with. It's uh, either genius or stupidity, right? No. <laughs> mostly the latter. Uh, you know, there are a few of us, especially in the mid-70s, who saw it as a great opportunity. Downtown was essentially um, like a war zone. There was almost nothing cultural going on. So, you know, we started yeah. Camera One, and then we, Ullipia, Jim Reber started The Rep, and Jim Zadir, old old friend of ours. Uh, Dan Polcrano, and David Cohen got Metro yeah. going. So there were always a, a group of us who were trying to do what we thought were pretty cool things. Yeah. And, you know once you once you start a few things you realize that you you can start things you don't have to have other people do it so i would say that that's what got into our, our our dna if it wasn't already there and uh really the attitude if not us who if not now when and that's really what informed our our san jose light tower corporation our urban confluence project is uh yeah. well, you know when we started it it was originally john ball and tom Walmart and me and then Tom left and Christine Davis has been uh, really key to our project since she joined us two or three years ago. But we we just think that we're doing something important and if we don't do it, nobody's going to do it. So, so here we are.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really cool. So, um, now the, the, the mission of the urban confluence or the idea is, is to bring an iconic landmark to San Jose, right? Um, what is kind of, what's your, why do you guys want to do that? That's a softball for you just so you can promote it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for all the softballs. Um,
1: yeah. we, we all came at this from a similar perspective and attitude that it made no sense that the 10th biggest city in America and probably the wealthiest region in the world, maybe in the history of the world, being Silicon Valley, that there's no physical landmark. We've got lots of things to be proud of and famous for. But we don't have a Eiffel Tower, we don't have a Space Needle, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So the only things that we really have are are uh, private businesses like the Apple Spaceship or Nvidia that are beautiful buildings, but they're inward facing. They're not outward facing. So our goal yeah. is simply to create something beautiful and give it to the give it to San Jose as a gift, something that we can all enjoy, our kids, our grandkids, our friends. Uh, yeah. we, all, we all live here this is our this is our home so we want to live in a beautiful place just like you want to have a beautiful painting on the wall at your house yeah uh, we, we think our community deserves some kind of a really spectacular landmark that will cause our our uh, blood to run fast and get excited and feel that that sense of of artistic inspiration and so we're f- fully at it doing it
0: yeah would you say i mean being you know having a restaurant downtown and kind of, you know, seeing, I don't know how many different renaissance, <laughs> right. The downtown area has gone mm-hmm. underneath. Um, but do you think even as, you know, having a business, do, do you think that kind of works because you're trying to kind of help create a there, there, a, uh, a place making, you know, it kind of helps the, not only the repetition, reputation, and the branding of the area, but also brings in, Uh, tourism and finances. I mean, does that kind of play in it too for you or?
1: Well, from the beginning, even going back to when we were only a little over 20 years old, when we started camera one, we thought that cities should have artistic places. So first we opened a movie theater then we opened a jazz club and we didn't know anything about movie theaters or jazz clubs. We just (laughs) stumbled through and tried to figure it out. And, you know, we went to New York and San Francisco and to the cool places and tried to figure out what made them work. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but Ulippia was also a jazz club during its first five years. And then we became yeah. a fine dining restaurant for 30 plus. And then it, uh, when when the boys took over and did their thing, uh, it's a jazz club again. So jazz right. has always been in our roots. My dad was a professional jazz musician. So I, I, I grew up. I was one of the lucky ones that grew up with art everywhere and symphonic yeah. music and jazz and paintings and things. So these are the artistic urges were always part of my DNA, no doubt. And I think that, uh, things like jazz clubs and art galleries, uh, are very, even if they're private are, are similar in their social function to landmarks and parks, like we're trying to do now, they're all places that give us a richer, deeper life. And that's, that's what I tried to do.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you could just see the that kind of the entrepreneurness coming out of you of through all these projects. And then that kind of like leads me into thinking about even uh the idea of Eulipia and Eulipia, excuse me, Ulipians, right? Would you mm-hmm. consider yourself to be kind of like what uh how you say his name is Roshan, right? Is that correct? Roshan. Rashan, uh no, Rasan, you know. Ra- 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 not Rashan. Ra- oh, Rasan, Rasan. Um, right, because he kind of coined that coined that phrase, phrase, right? The Ulippians, right? The kind of I guess yeah. it's the artistic gypsies of some sort or something. Are he
1: said the you these are the artists and the creatives and the the, the people who, who create music and, and and other arts and the the album was called The Return of the Five Thousand Pound Man that inspired us, and there was a, a tune on it called Theme for the Ulippians. Yeah, Rossan wrote, and the lyrics were written by Betty Niels who we've been lucky enough to become really great friends with over the years during the Stretch years, and yeah. so uh, every year at which I know you've attended at our Rasanathon, uh, yeah. yeah. Betty will do her poetry, and it's always the high point of the of the whole experience, but. I'd like to think I'm at least an honorary Ulippian,
0: I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are. I mean, you're doing it, right? You're bringing change and bringing art to the town. And, you know, I think that's that's pretty cool. I have to say, too, like, when I think about it, when I was looking at the stuff and I saw that, like, wow, it was, you know, like 75, 77 that you began these endeavors. And when I see you, like, you know, it's 45 years worth of you doing this, but you still seem like you have the... Strength of a forty-five-year-old, <laughs> or even younger than that. How do you do it? How do you? Are you? Uh, you jog normally, don't you? Or what's the? What's your? How do you stay so positive and healthy? Well, I think the key when you get to be
1: sixty-eight or whatever age is don't just don't look in the mirror because uh, <laughs> I feel I do feel like I'm thirty except when I look in the mirror, so I try to avoid <laughs> mirrors. But uh, I, I ride my bike and play golf, and and uh, I was I was working out for a few years before COVID. Frankly, the biggest thing, change for me personally in life was not being able to go to the not being able to go to the gym, which has been really a drag. Yeah. But you know, this idea you're young as you feel, I think there's there's some truth to it, even though we all have little creaks and pains. Uh, so I work at it, but and I hang around with young people a lot, which is really good for the soul.
0: Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know,
1: young guys, Daniel, young guys like you.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm not that young. I hate Zoom calls because I I see my little photo up there. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm older than I feel. <laughs> so okay. So now you're at San Pedro Square Market, even when that was beginning. That was kind of a uh Ulypia, a Ulypian Ullipia, type of thing to bring a market to the, the town. And then now okay. The first idea was to to bring back some sort of light tower, right? For a very, very, very brief amount of time yeah and then that morphed into urban confluence and give us give me the the idea of where that has been leading and uh, going with the that project
1: so four years ago or so John Ball and Tom Walmart and I were talking about the old light tower and landmarks etc and we all agreed that we needed something so for a brief amount of time we thought let's let's do some kind of a version of the old light tower that was at uh a market in santa clara street saying let's do it in plaza de cesar chavez uh full scale which is about 230 feet or so we yeah. very quickly very quickly came to the conclusion partly by talking to our friends and advisors and, and the mayor and raul and others that uh, we needed to do something that was of today, not, not from a hundred years ago. So yeah. we, we quickly pivoted to realizing that what we should do is just something spectacular. And then we went through all the different ways that we might do that. And we we settled on having an ideas competition, which as you know we're we're near the end of right now. Yeah. Because we could have done it many other ways. We could have simply engaged an A list designer. We could have had a an RFP, RFQ kind of process where mm-hmm. we did Uh, interviewed five or 10 big names, and then we chose uh, one or three finalists or something like that. But we chose the competition route because we were really inspired by Maya Lin and the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington. And she was Mm, a young student who won this competition. So we always kind of hoped that our competition would be like that. And as it turns out, we got about a 1,000 submittals, which was... One of, if not the most successful competition in the world in the last few years. There haven't that's a lot of submissions to get because these submissions took a lot of work on the part of the creatives. You know, because you're yeah. a creative yourself. But two of the three finalists ended up being these Myelin type characters. These are uh, these young men who are about thirty years old. Uh, they 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 don't have a practice yet. They one just got out of Harvard. The other one just got out of a design school in Southern California. Um, one was born in China, one was born in Japan and the yeah. third of us was born in Spain and lives in Australia. So we were yeah. truly a worldwide competition. We weren't just a little local parochial regional kind of thing. And uh, it was an immense amount of work, but we believe we made the right decision and we got literally hundreds of, of submittals that could have won that were, we think were first rate. And we're really happy with the the three who are now in phase two and they're working out all yeah. the details of their idea. They're basically, they're changing an idea
0: into a plan. And yeah. there's going to be a lot
1: of evolution and morphing going on in phase two.
0: Yeah. So all three of those kind of like finalists into this next process are available online to see, right? Yeah. You go to our website, yeah.
1: everything, everything's there, including four minute videos of, of the three finalists' ideas.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're beautiful, actually. I, I When they were released, uh, you know, we popped into that kind of the the Zoom meeting or whatever you want to call it that you guys did online. And it was incredible. I was blown away. I was actually really excited for what this could do for the city or what would be there. Just kind of even the the one that even took like the, the idea of having the shape of the old light tower when you look at it, certain angles, you know, or changing the light so it could do that at, every once in a while. It was like brilliant, like really creative stuff. So where are you at now? So you have the three kind of like finalists and then now there are they is this next part of the process to see like okay well wait a second is this even physically possible or what's the what where are you at now? So they are
1: in, they are indeed three finalists and it is interesting just to to uh, play off of one thing you said that two of the three two of the three ended up having in in essence a negative of the old tower embedded yeah. inside of their designs and we did not in any way tell the jury to do that and interestingly some of the jurors who are not even locals loved the idea of having some kind of homage to the old yeah. tower because of the integrated history with our community so that that was a yeah. surprise to me but but uh, it's really i think it's turned out to be really nice but yeah. phase 2 is happening now so they the three the three individuals who were the submitters have now created teams of between 10 and 20 experts. These, these are including landscape architects, structural engineers, uh, imagineer types uh, of all kinds, architects, et cetera. Those mm-hmm. teams are now taking what, what it was an idea. Remember it was an ideas competition, not, not yeah. a fully blown design competition. So they are working as teams to create another submission, which will be evaluated in January and then in March by the jury and uh, then the winner will be chosen. But but the phase yeah. two design will be truly a design with lots of budget estimates, schedule estimates, and, and lots more detail, uh, including structural, than yeah. than they previously had to do. Also, I want to make one other really important point about what we're trying to do is we're not just trying to create this giant sculpture of some kind that drops into the park. We want to activate that park. Uh, yeah. That park, that park is, is tragic. You know, I, yeah. you live downtown Daniel, just like yeah. I do. You go, you go to the arena and you can see the, the tragedy that is arena green right now. Yeah. We, we want that entire park to be a place that children, adults, uh, elderly people, everybody can go and can do lots of activities, can spend days there, feel safe. It'll be well, light, well lighted. And, yeah. and, and gorgeous. And be a source of pride instead of a source of embarrassment like it is now. So yeah. we are doing far more than just trying to have a landmark in the park. We want to have uh, places, whether it's museums or ice cream shops or whatever it might be, that, uh, yeah. that are appealing to people in general to have lots of fun. Like other great parks in the world, we're not trying to do anything that's never been done before.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's the it's the idea of placemaking, right? I mean, it's not just the idea mm-hmm. of having a attractive, big, shiny object, but also how do you uh, bring vitality to the entire area. So, yeah, totally. Now, you guys also, too, with this project, if I remember correctly, and, you know, I'm at the age where I don't remember things, but um, I think the three finals are actually, it's not just like you, they're submitting it now they have to go on out of their own budget. Didn't you guys actually help? them in this next phase financially to build out the next process. Well, I think I remember that from the beginning.
1: They each received or are receiving a $150,000 stipend to refine their ideas. So, it's a sizable amount of money to get them to be able to pay all all of these first-rate professionals in their fields to help yeah. them to help them with their idea and make it
0: better. And that's kind of unique in these kind of competitions, right? That actually you would get some sort of stipend to refine it, right? Isn't that kind of... No, not it, a... it's not unique. It's,
1: it's oh, uh, okay. typical, de- depending on the precise details. But once you get armies of professionals working, they're used to getting stipends. Uh, yeah. In fact, we were told originally that we shouldn't do a competition, an open competition, because... Uh, A-list, uh, f- famous sort of star architect types would would not submit unless they're being paid, and they, they were proven to be wrong. We got a lot of submissions from really first-rate people who have done big projects around the world.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. So uh, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of uphill yet to happen, right? <laughs> Well, pushing we, up
1: you mentioned our September 18th uh, broadcast. We had a successful capital campaign. Excuse me. We had a successful fundraising campaign, not a capital campaign. Uh, between about uh, the July and September 18th, we obviously pre-raised a bunch of money. So including our September 18th sort of telethon that we had, we raised yeah. about, a mil, about a million dollars, which mm-hmm. uh, in the days of COVID is is um, remarkable. And we are really, we're grateful to our hundreds and hundreds of donors, including you, by the way, thank you, to get to this point. Uh, We have about 400 donors in in total, we've raised about two and a half million dollars. But this, we now have a financial runway to get to the capital campaign, which will start in a a year or so. And you talked about, uh, you know, the uphill pushes, the the capital campaign will be the hardest part. Uh, I'm Really lucky in our organization, uh, John Ball spent his career, he's the chairman of our board, he spent his career building uh, hundreds of millions of dollars or billion-dollar projects, including San Jose Airport and a lot of other fabulous things. Christine Davis is a really successful businesswoman, and also uh, she and her husband, John, had uh, a construction company, Air Systems, in the mechanical world. The reason I mention those is that we have professionals on our team who can build big, complicated things, and if we didn't, we wouldn't be successful. So the yeah. a lot of the confidence that we have from big donors comes from the fact that we have a team that's capable to deliver something spectacular, and and we know we can do that. But still, raising lots of money is a is a lot of work, and uh, we're we're in the pre capital campaign phase now, where we'll be working with large donors not to ask them for money, but to ask uh, to to educate them about what we're doing, and yeah. our our project resonates for a lot of people who just care about community and get, get the idea of building a beautiful community. If you think about it, Daniel, if it weren't for people who came before us,
0: yeah.
1: we, we wouldn't have a golden gate bridge. We wouldn't have a space needle. We wouldn't have a statue of Liberty. We would just have empty fields. And so yeah. in the same way as they've, they basically bequeath these beautiful things to us. We want to bequeath beautiful things to our children and grandchildren. And that idea uh, resonates for, for, for really most people. So we haven't had much resistance to our fundraising. That people people love what we're doing and want to help us. And it's a team effort. We're we're a community yeah. organization. It's not just our small group. We've got the better part of a hundred advisors that we turn to all the time, and uh, community leaders like yourself who are are interested in what we're doing.
0: Yeah. So um, I guess you know one of my big concerns, and I don't know, is just um, the relationship would be with like with the city and the land. Has that been I mean, is that something that's like a done deal? I'm not sure. I, I, I remember there was talk about them, you know, leasing it for, you know, so many years or something like that. How's how's that aspect going along?
1: Thank you for asking. That's a really important component of our project. The city will own the project. We are going to give it as a gift to the city. Yeah. So they won't be the landlord. They'll be, they'll be the, the owner. And uh, exactly how it's operated is not clear yet. We agreed in conversations with the mayor and Raul Perales and, and other council people and city staff going right up to the city manager that we don't know enough yet to know how this thing should be run, whether it should be city departments mm-hmm. or a third party. And so we'll all meet uh, next year once we have a winning design that will allow us to have really concrete discussions about the best way to do this uh, from our perspective and from the perspective of the city. And I can tell you that <clears throat> we've had two unanimous votes from the city. The second one basically uh, allowed us to, to use Arena Green as our site. And, and they, the city has been nothing but supportive. Uh, the staff people, in particular, my counterpart at the Parks and Recs Department is Nicole Burnham. Uh-huh. She's, been, she's been incredibly valuable in helping us strategize what we need to do. Uh, John uh-huh. Ciccarelli, who's the head of the Parks Department, uh, is on the jury and has been really helpful. The city manager, Dave Sykes, uh, and, and others. And we, we turn to them all the time for advice. And one thing that we've all learned, cause we're all of a certain age is that we need to be collaborative with all of the stakeholders. So we meet, yeah. we meet monthly with the Guadalupe river park conservancy, uh, and little Italy, the parks department, the San Jose sharks spur and, and, uh, the downtown association. And the point that, that the point I'm trying to make is that this is not, us operating in a silo, we all are working, and as as uh, Chris Thompson at night likes to say, uh, he wanted to make sure we're all pulling the rope in the same direction. So yeah. we're working hard to make sure that's the case because that park is a is a kind of a jewel in the rough and an amenity yeah. for for all citizens. It's not just for for us or for people downtown. It's for for everyone in the city, and it's for people regionally and nationally you know if you look at great parks when if you and i went on a trip together to go to new york to listen to some jazz we would go to central park because it's right. one of the most important amenities in the city and we yeah. want, we want, we want arena green to be like that
0: totally and i think the connection to like the guadalupe trail and some you know like the the bridge that's there that goes over to the other side and i mean i think it really could help bring some vitality to that area so you know i'm super excited to see this i hope that you know it happens in my lifetime.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, it will. It will. And by yeah. the way, you mentioned the bridge. Uh, one or more of the submitters may include one or more bridges in their final design, just to show you the fact that the phase two is going to significantly evolve the phase one idea. So in phase one, it's just an idea. In phase two, there's lots of detail. So, uh, you know, we've always thought bridges in the park would really be a, an improvement of to the park for one thing, the East and the West are separated now. And the only way to go from the East to the West is on the street, either on St. or Santa Clara, even though in the original park design, there was a bridge designed from confluence point to arena green East, but it never got built. So we want to remedy all that. We want to make the park beautiful. We want it to be clean, clean and safe and well, well lit, et cetera.
0: Yeah. So from, you know, from having going from movie theater to restaurants to, you know, everything that you've been doing, what is something that you really uh, have seen is been valuable that has helped you in this project?
1: Well, as I get older, I learn to listen more. Uh, I probably still don't listen enough. I like to talk too much, but (laughs) I I would say to listen and to collaborate and uh, uh, John Ball and Christine Davis and, and I really listen a lot. And we we are collaborating uh, with everyone who cares about our downtown our city and that park so it probably took me 40 years to learn but I, I think I'm getting better at at listening to others and and respecting their opinions and knowing that that even people with differing opinions have the have the same noble goals to do something good in the park because everybody doesn't support and exactly agree with what our vision is for the park but Sure. We, we certainly listen to them and respect them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. What would you say then for you? What is kind of like your philosophy of life? What kind of, um, you know, like what's your perspective of how you approach the world?
1: Well, 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 Daniel. <laughs> Well, yeah. I'm a social creature, so I really like placemaking and building things. And you know, looking at my the way my life unfolded with restaurants, bars, and theaters, all of them involve lots of people. And then that sort of prepared me for doing San Pedro Square Market with Tom McHenry, John McHenry, and Martin Manith, the owners. And again, yeah. the whole point of that was to create synergy, and energy in the middle of our town. And 10 years ago, when we were doing that, people thought we were nuts and they said it was gonna be a complete failure, but we had this vision for a, a gathering place, which is largely what San Pedro Square Market is. Yeah. If we're successful with what we're doing now, again, it's a gathering place. So that was a long roundabout way of saying that I like social interaction. I like urban centers. I like cities. I, I, I would not wanna hide in the suburbs, certainly, or in the mountains. I, I, like, I like the man swarm, as Thomas Wolfe said, And so it's all consistent with, I guess, my sort of social nature. And also a lot of the things I ended up doing were triggered by owning when we were young guys, my partners and I, we owned this restaurant that was sort of the cool place in San Jose in the seventies and eighties. And the reason I mentioned it is we got to meet everybody. So every politician and, and developer and, artist and musician, everybody came through. So it allowed us even as young guys to get to know these people. And they ended up being really important relationships going forward. When you want to do yeah. something big, you, you know, I, I can call people and ask them for help. And, and, and that's been a big thing, but I'd say what floats my boat, my, at the point in life where I am now is just trying to be kind. Kindness is the, the missing link largely in life and in our society. Yeah. So you know, if you can just be kind,
0: call it a day. <laughs> The rest of it
1: all, the rest of it's all just details.
0: Yeah. Well, I have to say, I mean, you have definitely, I know when I kind of started showing up on the scene, I mean, I was uh, overwhelmed by your generosity, your kindness, and, uh, you know, even helping us out at different pickup parties with food from Cafe Stretch when it was going. And I think even times there was, I don't even think it was necessarily reopened yet. Sure. And then yet you guys were still willing to help the community, not only, you know, us, but other organizations and you guys have always been very giving with what you do and I really appreciate it. Well, just um, like you Daniel, you know, if uh, when you give things away more comes back to
1: you than you gave. So it's it's the way the world works. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. not just about the money, you know, it's 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 really more about the relationships. So I I yeah. care I really care about family and friends and you know people like you and it's what gives our life, you know, richness and and, and wonder.
0: Yeah. It's fun, and I I feel that um you've kind of done that even as you're talking about having the restaurant, it seems to me like you've kind of been able to develop um all these working relationships that you do for work or you know for livelihood or whatever. But it's really kind of like friends, and they're right. I mean, we can think of Sam as a friend. We can think of Raul as a friend. We, can, you know what I mean? It's not just no doubt that office or that person or something like that. Yeah. Well, one
1: of the things that I think happens for some of us, maybe the lucky ones who like our work, is that uh work and and non-work are integrated yeah
0: and
1: i feel like people who go and sort of are watching the clock or watching their their the career so they can retire they have it all backwards that i like the integration of of my work and my life and it's all this it's all just one thing it's it's you know people like you if i you know if i didn't like you i wouldn't hang out with you um, <laughs> yeah. i am I, I go to the people who bring me joy and fun and it's whether it's work or play it's it's all kind of the same uh, i get the fact that we all have to work and make money and i've never been very good at that to be honest <laughs> but uh, but apart from that i i think i think that my life is really rich i've got my golf yeah. my golf friends my jazz friends and it's all just time well spent with with people i like so i'm yeah I kind of feel like I'm the Lou
0: Gehrig of the, of the downtown scene. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So uh, what were there times though, especially like with the restaurant, um, you know, that you just really just wanted to give up, not only on, you know, throwing the towel in the restaurant or whatever, but even just in kind of like San Jose.
1: Uh, On the restaurant. Yes. Uh, There were, there were times that were just uh, brutal. Uh, always driven by difficult, the difficulty of money. Because yeah, at its best, running a restaurant's hard. At its worst, it's it's just absurd and Im- impossible. So yeah, yeah I, I thought about giving up and throwing in the towel on the restaurant. But uh, no, I've never been ready to give it, give up on 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 downtown San Jose as my life project essentially. And I think you know that I raised all my kids on Fourteenth Street. Uh, yeah. So I've been I live a I lived a, a mile from work. I went to San Jose State the vast majority of my activities are here. And as as I get older, frankly, my, my life keeps shrinking. I don't, I don't have, (laughs) I don't have a car now. So I just ride my bike and walk mostly. I I, I borrow a car from my girlfriend, Taryn, if I need to, but, but I mostly don't. The point of that is that my world has shrunk and I love downtown San Jose and the, the people, you know, it's not perfect and we've got a ways to go. But if you look, there's nothing but optimism. When you look at what the, uh, Gary Dilibo and Jeff Ariaga yeah. are doing West Bank. If you look at uh, Jay Paul's project, uh, Adobe's project, the whole Google shot, Diridon yeah. Station, our project, uh, and then you've got these wonderful little gems like the new the new coffee house that just opened on on First Street where Frascatti's Nirvana Street. Soul, yeah, yeah Nirvana Soul, very sweet. That kind of remind, yeah. remind me of me when we started or not me but us just you know you're just young and giving it your best shot um, yeah. but what makes a great downtown is just a bunch of little quirky great places and yeah quirky things like uh, content magazine you know we're all <laughs> we're all part of that ulippian subculture and and what makes it all work is you know visual art music uh, you know sculpture museums galleries street art chalk art whatever yeah. it might be buskers san pedro square market types of places and you yeah. combine all those and it's uh, fun to walk down the street and you you know just like me that you know we're the lucky ones we walk down the street we see
0: somebody we know on every corner and yeah, it's fun it, you
1: know, it's our home it's not it's there's nothing artificial about it
0: yeah yeah it's great yeah so for you what uh, during this time of covid what has been a lesson that you've kind of like learned or like kind of like a transformation that you have seen in yourself?
1: Interesting question. I, I've been one of the kind of lucky ones during COVID in that my son, Mike, who owns Cafe Stritch, he and I work at Cafe Stritch, just the two of us. So I've, I'm able to go to the office. So my my day-to-day activity isn't really much different than it was yeah. pre, pre-COVID. I, I would not wanna be working at home personally. I know some people like it, but I I would, would not like that. But yeah. um, I would say that my biggest lesson might have been really from my son Mike, who owns Stritch, which is that he's got this very philosophical attitude about about business and uh, stretch and and survival. and yeah. uh, he knows as like anybody who's being honest that no one knows what's going to happen. We may in a year it might be back to the way it was. In a year, we might all still yeah. be you know their restaurants and bars and museums might still be closed. Yeah, we might have athletes performing for a couple of years to arenas with no people, and then we we just don't know. But the the, the lesson is not to be too attached to financial outcomes. So yeah. I think that the, the the lucky ones are the ones who have realized that. So you don't go home depressed every day that you either <laughs> you don't have a job or you don't have any money, and you just find other. If we find other ways, it's it's about the human relationships at its core, anyway. So if you know if your current
0: Financial gigs not working, find a new one. Yeah, yeah. Um, what would you say then if you were looking back? This is, you know, that standards question, but if you saw, we're looking at young, bright eyed, bushy tail Steve from 1975, 77, getting ready to launch these projects. What one advice would you give little Stevie? <laughs> Save
1: money every week. <laughs> That's it, a
0: good one. Let it
1: let it uh, gather its interest over forty or fifty years. The forty or fifty years are going to go quick more quickly than you think. I would say. Yeah. Other than that, I, I I don't have a lot of regrets. But if, if there was one, and I you know I tell my kids this. Uh, Save, save, and then just keep saving. You don't have to save a lot, but forty years of compound interest end up yeah end up really being a lot. Uh, when I was a young guy, I thought I was going to be some kind of a constitutional law teacher or something like that. That was my interest when I was in college. Uh, yeah. So it was. It's interesting. Another thing that happens, Daniel. I think your life is kind of like this too. That you, you take these strange turns and find yourself doing something that you never thought you were, you were going to do,
0: yeah.
1: but, but you do it. And if you enjoy it, you keep doing it. So, yeah. uh, yeah. I would, I, I, I don't have a lot of regrets, but yeah, I would tell young
0: Stevie to save his, save, save his shekels. <laughs> yeah, that's good advice. I, should, I wish I would have heard that when I was younger too, <laughs> especially living so much of my life as doing, you know, a self-employed photographer yes. type thing. Right. And thinking, Oh yeah, I have the future to do that. And the next thing, you know, 15 years go by and it's like, Oh, I've been spending everything I get enjoying life. But at the same time, I don't really have any regrets either. As you should. Yeah. All right. So how can people find out what's going on with urban confluence?
1: Um, I'm the easiest guy to find in town You just go to the urban confluence website or type my name in or type in landmark San Jose. A lot of roads lead to us. So urban confluence website is a really good website. I think we've got lots of information and if anybody goes to it and don't, doesn't see the answers they want, call me. I'm always available to talk to anybody. Again, we're, we're partners with every citizen in our city.
0: Awesome. That's great. And, uh, yeah, let's just do something really crazy. Uh, give me a, a date when the, when the iconic landmark is going to be launched and open. When's the river cutting? <laughs> uh, we
1: hope to be in, in pre-construction by next summer and in construction, maybe a year or a year and a half after that. So our current, so you think
0: construction in, in 2021,
1: we would hope to be in construction in 2022. And okay. finished a year or two after that. Depending on which project wins, uh, it could take a year to two years to build something this complicated. And also, uh, yeah, uh, I feel like I'm beating the dead horse, but we want the whole park to be improved. So there'll be a lot of partners in there, whether it be whether it be the city doing things for the city or uh, other other stakeholders just wanting to improve the park.
0: So we've got a few years left for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Well, thank you, Steve. I just appreciate you on a personal friend level, you know, welcoming my family in uh to the city and to your place and uh and then what you're doing for the city with urban confluence. I really I'm excited about it. So, you know, in any way we can help, we'd love to help too. So
1: Well you have and you continue to and uh you know, you're one of the real sparkles in our city, Daniel. We're lucky to have you. <laughs> And yeah, It's look, it's, a,
0: it's like a appreciation fest. I really I do appreciate you, Steve. That's how, how we run. Yeah. Cool. And uh I hopefully I'll see you. I mean, I do see every once in a while I see you like going by on your on your bike. Not quite like uh, the witch in uh, Wizard of Oz because you always have a smile <laughs> and there's no Toto stuck in your basket. <laughs> but uh hope to see you out there. Uh, on the street. We got to get together for dinner like we've talked about for the last couple of years, right? That would be fun to do that. It's it's time uh, for us to do that. So let's not make any more excuses. Social distance mask dinner. You got, got it. it. Yeah. Right. Steve, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it and uh, good luck with this project. It's been a real pleasure, Daniel, as always. All right. Talk to you there. Bye-bye. To find out more about urban confluence, go to urbanconfluence.siliconvalley.org. Also visit the website to see the three finalist projects. Thank you for listening to the Content Magazine Podcast. Follow us on social media at Content Mag. Visit our website to become a member and help us to continue to tell the stories of the local creators. This episode's music is Time Alone by Mild Monk. Follow him on Spotify and also on his Instagram at Music.